Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, October 27th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a Christian worldview. A lot of great listening. Uh, I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a very real probability that you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. Um, I want to let folks know, um, if you had trouble getting um, any of my episodes yesterday, uh, the uh, regular Thursday episode, which was just Bible reading, but that or the special episode I put out that was the Bible study I did Wednesday night that I that I put out yesterday, um, I'm very, very sorry, especially from Christian podcast community. There seemed to be a problem with their feed or with them picking up a Podbean, um, Podbean post, which mine publishes out to Podbean and they grab it from there. Um, I'm not sure what was happening, but I've, I've talked to tech and they've, they were able to pull those over manually. Um, but I don't know if they're still going to have issues. I'll have to check in in the morning and let the guy know in the morning if it, there's still a problem. But I'm sorry if, if you didn't end up, end up getting to listen yesterday. Um, but, you know, I mean, you can still go back. I mean, they're still out there. You can still go back and listen uh, to the previous ones. Um, but what we're going to do today, we're going to be doing our Bible reading in the morning segment like we usually do. And then we'll be doing our final study in this section, this section about the legacy of Jesus in John chapter four, 14. So let's go ahead and let's jump right into the morning segment. We're going to open up with the six day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right. 
our morning devotion this morning, the text for it is from 2 Timothy 2.11. It is a faithful saying. Paul has four of these faithful sayings. The first occurs in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The next is in 1 Timothy 4.6. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. The third is in 2 Timothy 2.12. It is a faithful saying, If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. And the fourth is in Titus 3.8. This is a faithful saying, That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. We may trace a connection between these faithful sayings. The first one lays the foundation of our eternal salvation in the free grace of God, as shown to us in the mission of the great Redeemer. The next affirms the double blessedness which we obtain through this salvation, the blessings of the upper and nether springs of time and of eternity. The third shows one of the duties to which the chosen people are called. We are ordained to suffer for Christ with the promise that, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. The last sets forth the active form of Christian service, bidding us diligently to maintain good works. Thus we have the root of salvation in free grace, next the privileges of that salvation in the life which now is, and in that which is to come, sorry, and in that which is to come. And we have also the two great branches of suffering, with suffering with Christ and serving with Christ, loaded with the fruits of the Spirit. Treasure up these faithful sayings. Let them be the guides of our life, our comfort, and our instruction. The apostle of the Gentiles proved them to be faithful. They are faithful still. Not one word shall fall to the ground. They are worthy of all acceptation. Let us accept them now and prove their faithfulness. Let these four faithful sayings be written on the four corners of my house. All right, we're going to do our reading for the day. We're going to read... Jeremiah 51 verses 1 through 53. We won't finish the chapter. We're going to get to verse 53. Uh, Titus 2, Psalm 99, and then Proverbs 26 verse 17. So Jeremiah 51 verses 1 through 53. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am going to arouse against Babylon and against the inhabitants of Leb Kamai, the spirit of a destroyer. I will send strangers to Babylon that they may winnow her and may empty her land to destruction. For on every side they will be against her in the day of her calamity. Let not him who bends his bow bend it, nor let him rise up in his scale armor. So do not spare her young men, devote all her army to destruction. They will fall down slain in the land of the Chaldeans and pierce through in the streets. For neither Israel nor Judah has been winnowed by this God, by Yahweh of hosts, although their land is full of guilt, before the Holy One of Israel. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and each of you escape with his life. Do not be silenced in her iniquity, for this is Yahweh's time of vengeance. He is going to render recompense to her. Babylon has been a golden cup in the hand of Yahweh, intoxicating all the earth. The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are going mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail over her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We applied healing to Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us each go to his own country. For her judgment has touched heaven and lifts up to the very skies. Yahweh has brought about our righteousness. 
Come and let us recount in Zion the work of Yahweh our God. Sharpen the arrows, fill the quivers. Yahweh has aroused the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose is against Babylon to destroy it. For it is the vengeance of Yahweh, vengeance for his temple. Lift up a standard against the walls of Babylon. Make strong the watch. Raise up watchmen. Establish men in ambush. For Yahweh has both purposed and performed what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by abundant waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your end. Yahweh of hosts has sworn by himself, Surely I will fill you with a population like locusts, and they will cry out with shouts of victory over you. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the, the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he stretched out the heavens. When he gives forth his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. All mankind is senseless, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his graven image, for his molten image are for his. I'm sorry, for his molten images are a lie, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity, a work of mockery, and the time of their punishment they will perish. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker of all is he, and of the tribe of his inheritance. Yahweh of hosts is his name. He says, You are my instrument of shattering, my weapon of war, and with you I shatter nations, and with you I destroy kingdoms. With you I shatter the horse and his rider, and with you I shatter the chariot and its rider, and with you I shatter man and woman, and with you I shatter old man and youth, and with you I shatter choice man and virgin, and with you I shatter the shepherd and his flock, and with you I shatter the farmer and his pair of oxen, and with you I shatter governors and prefects. But I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all their evil that they have done in Zion before your eyes, declares Yahweh. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys the whole earth, declares Yahweh. And I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags. And I will make you a burnout mountain. They will not take from you even a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but you will be a perpetual desolation, declares Yahweh. Lift up a standard in the land, blow a trumpet among the nations, set apart the nations against her, summon against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz, appoint a marshal against her, bring up the horses like bristly locusts, set apart the nations against her, the kings of the Medes, their governors and all their prefects, and every land of their rule. So the land quakes and writhes, for the purpose of Yahweh against Babylon stand. Sorry, for the purposes of Yahweh against Babylon stand, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. The mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They inhabit the strongholds. Their might is dried up. They are becoming like women. Their dwelling places are set on fire. The bars of her gates are broken. One runner runs to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to give a message to the king of Babylon that his city has been captured from end to end. The forts also have been seized, and they have burned the marshes with fire, and the men of war are terrified. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. At the time it is stamped firm. Yet in a little while the time of harvest will come for her. Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has devoured me and brought me into confusion. He has set me down like an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a sea monster. He has filled my stomach with my delicacies. He has rinsed me away. May the violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, And may my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, Jerusalem will say. 
Therefore thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am going to plead your case, and exact full vengeance for you, and I will dry up her sea, and make her fountain dry. Babylon will become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and hissing without inhabitants. They will roar together like young lions. They will growl like lion cubs. When they become heated up, I will set before them their feast and make them drunk, that they may exult and may sleep a perpetual sleep, and not wake up, declares Yahweh. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams together with male goats. How Shishak has been captured, and the praise of the whole earth been seized. How Babylon has become an object of horror among the nations. The sea has come up over Babylon. She has been covered with its tumultuous waves. Her cities have become an object of horror, a parched land and a desert, a land in which no man lives, and through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel and Babylon, and I will make what he has swallowed come out of his mouth, and the nations will no longer stream to him. Even the wall of Babylon has fallen down. Come forth from her midst, midst my people, and each of you escape with his life from the burning anger of Yahweh. Now lest your heart grow faint, and, your, and you fear the report that will be heard in the land, for the report will come one year, and after that another report and another year, and violence will be in the land, with ruler against ruler. Therefore, behold, days are coming, when I will punish the graven images of Babylon, and her whole land will be put to shame and all her slain will fall in her midst. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers will come to her from the north, declares Yahweh. Indeed, Babylon is to fall for the slain of Israel, as also for Babylon the slain of all the earth have fallen. You who have escaped the sword, go, do not stand around. Remember Yahweh from afar, and let Jerusalem come upon your heart. We are ashamed because we have heard reproach, Dishonor has covered our faces, for strangers have entered the holy places of the house of Yahweh. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will punish her graven images, and the mortally wounded will groan throughout her land. Though Babylon should ascend to the heavens, and though she should fortify her lofty stronghold, from me destroyers will come to her, declares Yahweh. And Titus 2 But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so the word of God will not be slandered. Likewise urge the younger men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be a model of good works, with purity and doctrine dignified. I'm sorry, with a purity and doctrine dignified. Sound in word which is irreproachable, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be pleasing, not contradicting, nor pilfering, but demonstrating all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that, deni instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. 
These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In Psalm 99, Yahweh reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Yahweh is great in Zion, and he is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have done justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt Yahweh our God, and worship at the footstool of his feet. Holy. Sorry. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They would call upon Yahweh, and he would answer them. He would speak to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statutes that he gave them. O Yahweh our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. Exalt Yahweh our God, and worship at his holy mountain. For holy is Yahweh our God. And finally, Proverbs 26, verse 17. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and becomes passionate about strife not belonging to him. All right, well, that is our morning segment. That is our reading for today. Like I said, we will be back for the evening segment where we will wrap up this section on the legacy of Jesus in John chapter 14. Uh, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with one of my favorite from Valley of Vision, one that has helped me a great deal. It is called Grace in Trials. Let's pray. Father of mercies, Hear me for Jesus' sake. I am sinful even in my closest walk with thee. It is of thy mercy I died not long ago. Thy grace has given me faith in the cross, by which thou hast reconciled thyself to me and me to thee, drawing me by thy great love, reckoning me as innocent in Christ, though guilty in myself. Giver of all graces, I look to thee for strength to maintain them in me, for it is hard to practice what I believe. Strengthen me against temptations, my heart is an unexhausted fountain of sin, a river of corruption since childhood days, flowing on in every pattern of behavior. Thou hast disarmed me of the means in which I trusted, and I have no strength but in thee. Thou alone canst hold back my evil ways, but without thy grace to sustain me I fall. Satan's darts quickly inflame me, and the shield that should quench them easily drops from my hand. Empower me against his wiles and assaults. Keep me sensible of my weakness and of my dependence upon thy strength. Let every trial teach me more of thy peace, more of thy love. Thy Holy Spirit is given to increase thy graces, and I cannot preserve or improve them, unless he works continually in me. May he confirm my trust in thy promised help, and let me walk humbly in dependence upon thee. For Jesus' sake, amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, October 27th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be finishing up this section in John chapter 14, the second the section that we call the legacy of Jesus. Uh, let's go ahead and just dive right in. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. The prayer we're going to use, of course, being an evening segment, this would make sense. Um, the prayer we're going to use from Valley Vision is called sleep. Let's pray. Blessed creator, thou hast promised thy beloved sleep. 
Give me restoring rest needful for tomorrow's toil. If dreams be mine, let them not be tinged with evil. Let thy spirit make my time of repose a blessed temple of his holy presence. May my frequent lying down make me familiar with death. The bed I approach remind the bed I approach remind me of the grave. The eye I now close picture to me their final closing. Keep me always ready, waiting for admittance to thy presence. Weaken my attachment to earthly things. May I hold life loosely in my hand, knowing that I receive it on condition of its surrender. As pain and suffering betoken transitory health, may I not shrink from a death that introduces me to the freshness of eternal youth. I retire this night in full assurance of one day awakening with thee. All glory for this precious hope, for the gospel of grace, for thine unspeakable gift of Jesus, for the fellowship of the Trinity. Withhold not thy mercies in the night season. Thy hand never wearies, thy power needs no repose, thine eye never sleeps. Help me when I helpless lie, when my conscience accuses me of sin, when my mind is harassed by foreboding thoughts, when my eyes are held awake by personal anxieties. Show thyself to me as the God of all grace, love, and power. Thou hast a balm for every wound, wound, a solace for all anguish, a remedy for every pain, a peace for all disquietude. Permit me to commit myself to thee awake or asleep. Amen. All right, our evening devotion um, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it is from Isaiah 64, 6. We are all as an unclean thing. The believer is a new creature. He belongs to a holy generation and a, and a peculiar people. The Spirit of God is in him, and in all respects he is far removed from the natural man. But for all that the Christian is a sinner still. He is so from the imperfection of his nature, and will continue so to the end of his earthly life. The black fingers of sin leave smut, leave smuts upon our fairest robes. Sin mars our repentance, ere the great potter has finished it, upon the wheel. Selfishness defiles our tears, and unbelief tampers with our faith. The best thing we ever did apart from the merit of Jesus only swelled the number of our sins, for when we have been most pure in our own sight, yet like the heavens we are not pure in God's sight, and as he changed char I'm sorry, and as he charged his angels with folly, much more must he charge us with it, even in our most angelic frames of mind. The song which thrills to heaven and seeks to emulate seraphic strains hath human discords in it. The prayer which moves the arm of God is still a bruised and battered prayer, and only moves that arm because the sinless one, the great mediator, has stepped in to take away the sin of our supplication. The most golden faith, or the purest degree of sanctification to which a Christian ever attained on earth, has still so much alloy in it as to be only worthy of the flames in itself considered. Every night we look in the glass we see a sinner, and had need confess, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are... I'm sorry, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Oh, how precious the blood of Christ to such hearts as ours! How priceless a gift in his perfect righteousness, and how bright the hope of perfect holiness hereafter! Even now, though sin dwells in us, its power is broken. It has no dominion. It is a broken-backed snake. We are in bitter conflict with it, but it is with a vanquished foe that we have to deal. Yet a little while, and we shall enter victoriously into the city where nothing defileth. All right, well, like I said, we're going to be wrapping up this section of John chapter 14. Again, this section is called The Legacy of Spirit. Um, so like like we said, and again, I, I, I really am, I told you before, I'm going to do this fast. Actually, I really am going to do this quick. You know, our, 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 our background is the fact that we've come through and we've started the Last Supper. Um, they're, they're up in the upper room. Um, Judas has now left. 
Um, Jesus has sent him out to go do what he is going to do and do it quickly. Um, so he's betraying Jesus. And really, from what we see here in the Gospel of John, John the Apostle is really the only one who heard G Jesus make the statement that the, it's the one I give the morsel and then he gave it to Judas because right after that the rest of them as Judas leaves the rest of them are not sure why Judas left so but he has left and like I said these guys world has come down around them like like I like I said before you know that they've they've left everything to follow Jesus they followed him for three years and like like I've made clear over the last number of nights um actually the last couple of weeks these guys aren't going to be able to go back and just pick their lives back up. They're not going to be able to. I mean, I mean, even were it not for the mission that Jesus has given them, I mean, that, that he's already told them they need to be doing. And then, of course, he confirms in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, giving them what we call the Great Commission. So he, he, he makes very, very clear that they've, they've got something to do. But even if he, had he not done that, um, I, I, I hope I've made very, very clear that with them having been gone from their professions, gone from what they regularly did to support themselves, probably on a subsistence level. I mean, even the tax collector, believe me, some of them were very good at taking a lot extra, but even Matthew wasn't that, um, you know, but, but in any case, they weren't going to, I mean, the fact is the tax collectors weren't going to accept, or I mean, Rome was not going to accept Matthew back as a tax collector. I mean, so none of them were going to be able to go back into their jobs. So how are they going to support themselves? I mean, don't get me wrong. Starvation was a real thing. So very quickly, they, they could end up starving to death, you know, and, and I don't say that to say they're mercenary. I mean, again, I've said that a couple of times there. It's not that they're mercenary. I mean, this is a real concern. I mean, you and I, it's like, oh, we'll go, I'll go grab a credit card and I'll go charge something or I'll go, or one of my buddies will put me up or something like that in that world. Even if you had really, really close friends there's a real good probability that they barely had enough food to feed their own family, much less somebody else. No matter how much they were friends or, or really, really close. I mean, even family might not be able to feed you. So go figure that, you know, these guys, so they, they've done all this. And then, you know, after the triumphal entry, like I said, they were on that pinnacle. He's being proclaimed as king, but then he proceeds, like I said, he washes their feet. He tells them one of one of them, one of that 12, the closest group, one of them is going to betray him. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be murdered. You know, and he, and he indicates clearly, I'm going to be lifted up. That was a clear indication of, of crucifixion. He's going to be lifted up, thus murdered. And that Peter, like I said, their titular leader, the guy who seems to always have something to say, is going to is going to deny him. The, the one who says, I will die with you is going to deny him three times. So their world's falling apart. So again, we've seen him provide comfort, providing when we we had that first section in John 14, uh, verses one through fourteen, that that comforting of them, and they needed it. I mean, don't get me wrong; it, their 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 faith is already being tested, and the testing is only going to get worse. Is only going to get worse. Excuse me. And while they these men are saved, they haven't been infused with the Holy Spirit yet. It's coming, and we see it. We see it hit them at Pentecost but it hasn't hit there yet. So they're struggling. I mean, they're struggling and don't get me wrong. Um, believe me without the Holy spirit, there's many, many a thing that I wouldn't be able to persevere through. So this next section that we came into, uh, beginning of this week, um, was one that, that, that we'll call the legacy of Jesus. Jesus is making clear, listen, yes, I've told you I'm going and I'm going to be going to a place you can't come to, 
but I'm leaving you a legacy. I'm leaving you these things. And so what we've seen so far is he left the presence of the spirit. He left the presence of himself, of the son and the presence of the father. He's made this very clear to them that they're not orphaned. They're not orphaned. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But he makes clear that not only will the Holy Spirit indwell them, but that he himself will indwell them and that the Father will indwell them. That the, that the, that the, the Holy Trinity will indwell them. I mean, the fact is, it's starting to get crowded in there. You got the three of them indwelling these, these disciples, these 12, these 11 now. So they're not going to be left alone. But that's not the end of the legacy. The last part of the legacy is the presence of the truth. Verses 25 and 26 of so this, John 14, verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So bring to rem to your remembrance all that I said to you. And I'm sorry, I meant to bring up something and I didn't, I didn't do it. Um, I apologize and I'm going to have to do this real quick. And I just shot my flow there, but this is kind of important. Um, there. Okay. So, you know, it's like, okay, you read that and you go, okay, so what is this presence of the truth? What are you talking about? Well, We've already seen, seen Jesus make clear when, and, and in this chapter alone, John 14, verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me, he goes on in John 14, verses 16 and 17. That was part of this legacy that this was the presence of the spirit section of this, that we dealt with as part of this legacy. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Again, speaking of the indwelling. So what I'm, and, and we saw in our verse, in our verses today, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all that I said to you. What Jesus is saying there is the Holy Spirit is going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to teach you the truth. Now, you and I might go, okay, well, what kind of legacy is that? And, and I was thinking about it as I, as I was getting ready for this. Um, actually, this was, this was <laughs> within the last, you know, hour or so. And it hit me where this really would hit them and should hit us. I mean, it's actually for both. I mean, it, it always is. I mean, the Bible speaks to us. Um, and it's just the job, job of the preacher or teacher to make that connection for you. Um, but, and honestly, the, the depiction here is actually very, very close. I realized that it was very, very close. So, so let me, let me, let me take you to the apostles in the first century, these, these 11 in the first century. Um, and let me, let me clarify a few things. So one of the attributes of God, and we've spoken of this before, um, and actually recently within the last couple of weeks. One of the attributes of God and the one in key focus here is truth. 
And again, I've said, but I know I've said before to you and it within, again, like I said, within the last couple of weeks is God does not say things that are true. God is truth. Therefore, what he says is true because he is truth. Well, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, as we saw in verses 16 and 17, Jesus accurately defines him in verse 17, the spirit of truth, because we we have to realize. So, so that's something if, if you just don't get it. Um, let me clarify that the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, their attributes are the same. They are exactly aligned with each other. They are in exactly of the same will. So if the father is truth and thus what he speaks is true, then the Holy spirit speaks the father's truth. The Holy spirit cannot, but be the spirit of truth. Okay. So he's made this clear to them that this is the spirit of truth. Okay. So if what God said is true, the fact is those that are supposed to facilitate the worship of him should also be true. Correct. I mean, that, that would seem logical yet over the three years of Jesus ministry, it has been shown repeatedly. If it wasn't already realized before this, that the majority of the religious elite, and we have to remember the religious elite were the governing body of the, of the Jewish people. The religious elite were the governing body, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, um, the Pharisees, the scribes were a subset of the Pharisees, but the Pharisees kind of came from the common people. Whereas the chief priests were a subset of this, of, of, um, the, the, the chief priests came from the Sadducees and they were more from the upper crust. Okay. But they formed the Sanhedrin, the governing council. But it's become very, very clear, particularly through the three years of Jesus ministry. But it was already becoming clear before. I mean, think, think of what John called them vipers. Why do you come out to me? You know, he calls them vipers. Um, but Jesus doesn't do any less. I mean, he makes very, very clear that they're liars. You know, he tells the people, you know, do what they tell you because what they're telling you is correct, but they're not living that way. These are liars. I mean, you know, the, again, and, and the fact is they're thieves. They're thieves as well. I, again, I've told you before um, that the way they changed up, I mean, when Jesus came in and flipped over the tables in the temple, um, did it twice is because the fact they had turned it into a merchant gathering, which was not what it was supposed to be. It's not that it was bad to be able to provide sacrifices for people to purchase if they couldn't bring them from far distances. I mean, Jesus even, or I'm sorry, God even talks about that in the law as he lays it out, that that's okay. But they had turned it into such a mercenary business. I told you about that before, that they would on purpose discount, they would on, on purpose downgrade perfectly good sacrifices to make the people sell those at a discount to turn around and then change their money at a fee so they could use the, the money they had changed to buy something else at a high markup. All three transactions, they're making money that the priest got a kickback that the, the, the religious elite got a kickback from. They were crooks. Jesus has made this clear. They are not true. They're supposed to be, they should be the paragons of truth in their society, and they should be able to be trusted by all men. Just like honestly, pastors, 
and preachers and teachers of the word today should be able to be trusted. But the fact is they're not, nor were they in that time. So this is what these guys have been Jesus with Jesus for three years. They know this. There is no truth. So here's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, which is going to teach them all things. He says that in verse 26, he will teach you all things. So, I mean, let's look at, you will teach them all things. And, and that's the thing we know. I mean, I hope, you know, I, I've had the experience myself. I grew up in the church. I'd read the Bible more than a few times before I was saved. But when I was saved, when I was indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit worked to renew my, renew my heart, renew my mind, the enlightenment, the illumination of the text just was explosive. Text that I had read for years that I really enjoyed, um, though I didn't, I didn't grasp them on the deep level I was supposed to because I wasn't saved. The meanings that flew out of them that I never grasped that just hit me in the face like a ton of bricks was amazing. Well, this is what we see here. First Corinthians one, 20 and 21. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Again, Paul calling out the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, making clear that through the wisdom of the world, you cannot come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message priest preached to save those who believe. And do you know how we take that message, that foolishness of the message preached through the illumination of the Holy spirit. Second Timothy three, seven, always learning and never able to come to a full knowledge of the truth without the Holy spirit. We can't, but that's what he's saying. The Holy spirit is there and he's going to bring that truth. And in this case, because of the presence of the truth, he's going to illuminate it for them that they are going to be made aware of it. Um, the, the one I looked up, um, and again, so, so if, if you're not aware the gospel of John, John is very good about making kind of footnotes that because he's writing this decades after it occurred, but he's looking back and going, this was something we didn't understand at this time, but we came to understand it after the resurrection. So John's very good at telling us that. So John two verse 22. So when he was raised from the dead, he's speaking of Jesus here. Um, let's see, I'll, I'll even start in verse 21, but he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So, oh, I'm sorry. This was when the Jews. Okay. So Jesus said, destroy this sanctuary. And in three days I will raise it up. And of course the Jews, Jewish leadership thought he was talking about the temple. And they said, it took 46 years to build the sanctuary. And will you raise it up in three days? John makes the footnote, but he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now, again, this is not them in, in their mental capabilities, remembering this. This is the Holy Spirit bringing it to, to memory for them and illuminating it for them. That is what he's left them, that the presence of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 4 who desires all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. This is God. This is Jesus Christ who desires all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Jesus wants these guys to come to the full knowledge of the truth. How else can they do their job? This, 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 this life task he has put upon them. Um, John 16. So, you know, a couple months down the road, we'll come to 
Um, and this is Jesus again speaking of the, this is still within the upper room discourse. So this is still within this nighttime. He hasn't yet been crucified, but John 16 verses 13 and 14. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Again, he is going to take of Jesus's and disclose it to them. He is going to make the truth clear to them. He is going to make the truth clear to him as he does for you and I. He brings us the truth. Not that it's not already written down there, but he opens it up to us. I'm sorry. There, there are many, many people. I've, I've truly had somebody who, who I care very deeply for, who I care very, very deeply for asked me about the fact that how often I read through the Bible um, and asked me, does it really make a difference for you to just keep reading and reading and reading? And I was like, well, yeah. And I said, well, have you ever? And he said, yeah, I've read through it like three times total. And this is someone who, who is very advanced in age. And I was kind of appalled. And he was like, I just don't get it. I, I, he, he couldn't grasp how the Holy Spirit kept enlightening me more and more as I dug further and further. The fact is, in our Sunday school class, um, we are now starting to do a precepts. We're about we're doing a lower level, the the in and out, but precepts going through the book of Ephesians. Now I've preached and taught through the book of Ephesians before. But you better believe. I'm digging back in. Actually, I'm, I'm actually doing the precept upon precept version of it while we're teaching our Sunday school class. I'm looking forward to it because I will guarantee you there will be things that the Holy Spirit will illuminate to me that I've not already picked up. There will be things I've missed in my prior preparation. I know it because it happens constantly. It happens constantly. I go back, you, you know, you've been working with me through John. I go back into John, into places I've already been, and I find new stuff constantly. Um, 1 John 2, 20 and 21, and then 27. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do, I'm sorry, because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 27, and as for you, the anointing whom you received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. That's the, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as he has taught you abide in him. So he's saying not only should the Holy Spirit abide in you, but you should abide in the Holy Spirit. It, it's saying that you know the truth and he is making the truth clear to you. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now again, Peter here is not just speaking of prophetic text. He's saying that the scripture itself is not a man's, uh, the, though men are used as the instrumental means to write, were used as the instrumental means to write the scripture. It was not, it was not from their own imagination, from, from their own creativity. It may have had their style, but Peter's clear, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Again, the Holy Spirit speaking from God and engendering that. And, and, and 
typical for verse here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, being very, very clear, he's leaving them the truth. He's leaving them the spirit of truth, which will, which will illuminate them, enlighten them. First Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, of course, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God, of which depths we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual depths with spiritual words. Again, very, very clear that this is what Jesus has left them. And this is what he's saying to them is, is these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, because he's already spoken some of this to them before. And he goes on verse 26, but the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, of course we would ask, okay, so what does that matter? The problem is they, like I said, they could not have done their job, that this life task that they're being left with, without the Holy Spirit, without that and the truth, he will illuminate to them. And that's the thing. I'm sorry that you've got to, uh, one of the, one of the best, one of the best, um, sermons ever preached is Acts 2. I think it's Acts 2. Um, and it's Peter. Now, I'm bringing it up to make sure I've got it. Jesus living here. Yeah, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Again, this is the infusion of the Holy Spirit. Here is Peter, who is a fisherman and a loudmouth. And and I say that being somebody who can be a loudmouth, so I'm not bashing him. I have my own foibles. Okay, so I'm not bashing him. But Peter, who's a loudmouth, but tends to stick both his feet in his mouth. And the Holy Spirit has so illuminated him that he gives one of the, one of the most, I mean, Jesus gives the best sermons. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, Sermon on the Mount is amazing, but you come to Peter here and this is one of the best you will ever find in Acts two. Fishermen. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And Peter speaks truth. He brings them truth. And that truth empowers them. They stand on the truth. But the Holy Spirit brings us truth too. And in the, in the light of our world, I'm sorry, you and I both know there are preachers and teachers out there. Um, I won't call them pastors because they're not. I won't call them shepherds because they're not. But there are preacher, te preachers and teachers out there, male and female, um, who honestly... I, I, and I, again, I don't wish harm upon them, but I wish God would sew their mouths shut because they're doing the work of the devil, not the work of God, because they don't, I don't know whether they're saved or not. That's not my call. I like Spurgeon says, it's not my place, but the fruits that they manifest are the fruits of the devil. They are not the fruits of, of salvation. They are not the fruits of the spirit. They are not, they are teaching falsehood constantly, constantly. And the sad fact is so many of them have these huge ministries. So they're not leading a few here and a few there astray. They're leading hundreds of thousands astray. 
But what you and I have to know, like I've said before, we, we've been left this legacy too. This is not just for the 11 or for the 11 plus Paul. This legacy is for us. We were left the presence of the Spirit. We've been left the presence of the Son. We've been less, left the presence of the Father. And we've been left the presence of the truth. And if with that legacy, our faith can't hold firm, then we have a real problem. But with that legacy, you and I should be able to stand, hold our place in the battle line, and do what God has placed us here to do, those those works he has placed us there for. All right, that's going to do it for this evening. Again, we will pick back up in our Bible study in uh, John chapter 14. I believe we'll finish out John 14 next week and move on into John 15, God willing. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful night. Um, I thank you for spending this time with me. I pray that this helps for you to grow in your knowledge of the scripture. I hope it, it, it does help me. Um, I hope I'm doing a good job for you. I mean, honestly, it's, it's not about me. I, I, I want to handle God's word properly. Um, but I, but I do, I hope you have a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. I hope you have a great weekend. Let's go ahead and close out with the sixth day evening prayer called the mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God? Exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love, to live not to ourselves but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right, again. I hope you have a great night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless. Music